Another edition of Killinois with Bird and Cam. This is your boy Bird, and as always with me, Cammy B. Cam, how we doing, my love? We're doing good. I got to see my childhood favorite band, Charlotte, yesterday. So I am living on cloud nine right now. Yeah, I was like, I was looking at those pictures. It was like, man, it was like 2003 all over again. Right? They were good pictures, weren't they? Right, right. It's my new phone. Oh man, oh, I'm like 11 years old again. But um, right. again, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are back from Monday when we did part one on James Bird, and we're gonna come back again for part two, and we're also gonna tie into kind of a it's not really much of a hot topic. In this state, but it is in terms of the country. country. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Help me out. Teamwork makes the dream work. But we're going to be talking <laughs> about death penalty. And we're going to tie it in the state and the history and why it's such a prevalent issue in this national discourse. But um, that said, before we go into detail, um, any feedback from part one or like any final thoughts? I'm just still blown away um, just how the whole case was handled. I mean, I, I think the actual officers and justice system did what they did correctly. And, um, you know, that was awesome. But just the reactions from the town mm-hmm. and the residents just blow, blow my mind. And just overall as a country, it just kind of blew my mind how divided we still are, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, which shows how sheltered I was being raised. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had no idea this was how bad it was. And, and I will say two things. Um, number one, to what you were saying, uh, it didn't really come a surprise as far as the reactions. And don't want to get ahead of ourselves when we, like, talk into um, the research that we accumulated in that regard, but then number two, when you talk about, when you think of the history of lynches and lynchings in America and how it rarely, if at all, went punished, and the fact that the level of punishment that you saw, it did speak to at least, well, we did come a long way from 50, 40 years ago, and as we've seen time and time again in the justice system and through race relations and whatnot, we have a long, long way to go. But if you can, you know, use that, it's a template of, okay, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, there there is a blueprint of going in the right direction in terms of, you know, finding or seeking that justice. And I totally agree. And I always, always forget that, like, the process is a very slow process mm-hmm. and that our country is still very young compared to the world. Right. So like we still have a lot of learning we have to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, it just, 
you know, I think a lot of us just expect this to happen overnight. You're just supposed to wake up one day and be like, I am no longer racist. I no longer hate women. I no longer hate illegal immigrants. You know, it's, it's a process and it's, it starts with, you know, teaching your children young acceptance and love and for everybody as a human being, as the human race, because we're all going to the same spot in the end. Hell. Yes. <laughs> exactly where we came from. <laughs> Oh boy, that well, is correct, one hundred percent. That was the best answer ever. Oh boy, we're oh man, I'm such a cynic. But that said, um, before we get into our notes, uh, can you hit the good folks with a disclaimer? Absolutely. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you guys like part one. Um, give us some feedback. Um, but again, I just want to let you guys know, um, we're just here to do our job and report, uh, telling the story from what we get. We gather. A lot of different types of information from news article, police reports, various online, um, you know, uh, databases. And if there's anything that seems incorrect or offensive to the victims, the victims' families, or even the persecuted and the persecuted families, please let us know at Illinois with Bird and Cam on Facebook. Again, we're just here to do our job. And there's going to be a lot of um, mature content in this, so we're hoping you're not under 18 listening to this. And if you're ever feeling lost and confused, you can always, you know, call your local crisis hotline. So yeah, so yeah, listener discretion advice. That's what uh, we uh, should start doing that because like we should yeah, and I yeah. think and it's going to be a lot of um, upcoming cases that we're going to be covering. And we're going to really, you know, get into the gory details, police reports, and coroner uh, reports, and that what Maybe show but, photos. We don't know yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I tried doing um, I tried doing a photo when we did the St. Valentine's Day Massacre episode, and I got flagged down by Instagram within the quickness. It was like a, it was like a minute. I was just like, bro, yeah. Damn it, Insta. Mm-hmm. Son of a biscuit. Mm-hmm. So, um, that said, you ready to do the damn thing? I am ready to do the damn thing. All right. So, let's kind of, like, recap uh, from the last episode. And we were talking about, again, James Byrd Jr. And he was an African-American from Jasper, Texas, who was murdered on June 7, 1998, when Sean Barry, Lawrence Brewer, and John King dragged Byrd for three miles behind a pickup truck along an asphalt road. Bird, who had remained conscious throughout most of this, was killed about halfway through the dragon when his body hit the edge of a culvert and it severed his right arm and head. And when it was all said and done, it was about 81 uh, pieces of his remains that was found. Uh, Including that um, extremely long trail of flesh and blood. Yeah. That was left, too. That was astonishing. Oh. And it was later revealed that the three men were affiliated with white supremacist groups, particularly Brewer and King, who were shown through the pictures taken in their cells during the trials to have numerous tattoos promoting white power. And all three will be eventually be convicted as Barry was sentenced to life imprisonment and will be eligible in parole in 2038. Meanwhile, Lawrence Brewer was executed by lethal injection by the state of Texas on September 21st, 2011. And King... If you guys have listened to uh, news lately, he was executed uh, in Huntsville, Texas, just a couple of weeks ago on April 24, 
2009. And as we signed off on the last episode, we talked about the last moments of King. And it was essentially the statement that we're going to really devote a good portion of this episode to or the context of it. And the statement we're talking about is King had said that his last words was pretty much capital punishment. Them without the capital get the punishment. So I think there's a lot to unpack there. Now, in literal term, I think it's just the sniveling shit just confirming that he didn't have any remorse. Mm-hmm. But again, as we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, it's a lot in terms of what we're talking about the capital punishment and the death penalty. Like, it got me thinking at least, okay, how can I try to tie it in as we are doing our road trip and try to get it back to Illinois and we're talking about the death penalty. So, like... Yeah, I, really, really. That, and I'm, I can't wait till we talk about it, because it's, I was talking to my mom the other day, and mm-hmm. it was just, the justice system is so black and white while the world is gray, and so it's very hard to determine gray pieces when you either see it white or you see it black. Mm-hmm. So, um because if you're protecting yourself, protecting your family from an intruder with a who has a weapon and you happen to kill the individual, that's different from someone premeditatedly out to get someone because they hate the way they look. Yeah. Really, yeah. But 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 in court murder is murder. So and if you don't have the evidence, the guy who came into your house with a weapon could look like you know like a setup or something. Right. Um, if the evidence isn't there, thankfully, hopefully the uh, police officers in that town or county or whatever mm-hmm. do what they're supposed to do. And do I think their it's job. the fact that like it was just so, it was so much evidence with so much physical and circumstantial yeah. that there was just no way in hell that you can you can like you know talk yourself or just. Yeah, there's no way it, it no wasn't a hate crime. Yeah. So about, you know, King's statement and the, the prison system routinely provides media with information about a condemned inmate's final hours leading up to an execution. And an hour before the execution, um, a story, uh, a report by the Associated Press had described King as being stoic. And the story would go on to say mm. that King did not open his eyes at any point during the process when witnesses were in the room. And Mr. King was already on the gurney, and he had his eyes closed and made very little of any movements. So he and didn't. Well, well, I'm to cut you off, but he didn't per se say any last words. But afterwards, he had a prepared written statement with the capital punishment then without. But yeah, that's what pretty much caused a little hot fire in his own self. And just the way Brewer and King presented themselves throughout the entire trial and being prison on death row just shows they really didn't have any remorse for what they did. Um, especially, and I'm, I'm sure too, the way they were talking was just so they could get more attention their 15 minutes of fame because, you know, they're a piece of shit. But if you look at the big picture too, those, those people are monsters mm-hmm. as well. And so I know um, we go into detail with Senator Senator John Whitmore at the time, and he called the post-execution letter insensitive and perhaps even harmful to the family of Bird, which is accurate, which again is another reason why 
this was a hate crime. And these type of individuals, I feel, do deserve capital punishment. Um, but anyways, so Gen- Senator, bleh, so Senator John Whitmore was so pissed about this letter that he actually took to the media and uh, stated a statement on Wednesday that the Texas prison officials will no longer share the last written words of the condemned inmates publicly, which is, which is a lot because if you guys remember from our last episode, thanks to Brewer, they no longer allow you to have your choice of. Right. So these two people, although everybody on death row that is guilty or cocksuckers just ruined it for everybody else. Um, so, in the aftermath of James Byrd's death, it became the catalyst for Texas hate crime, and it, the legislation enacted in 2001. So, let's break this down a little bit and actually talk about that law. Uh, Governor Rick Perry of Texas signed a hate crimes bill on May 12, 2001, and that straightens the penalties uh, for offenses against minorities, gays, and others. Um the measure, the James Byrd Hate Crime Act, was named for the East Texas black man who, like we stated earlier, was dragged to his death from a pickup truck in 1998 by these three monsters. Mr. Perry's predecessor, President Bush, had refused to support the measure two years ago, saying all crimes are hate crimes. Which, again, I kind of want to break that down, too, because, like, as a teenager, crimes are just kind of learning your lesson and, you know, trying right. to figure out what's right and wrong, but... I know I'm just being fucking whatever. Anyways, um, but back to Mr. Perry. What he said today is that this law sends a signal that to would-be criminals that if you attack someone because of their religion, their race, their gender, you face different penalties. And I definitely fully agree behind that. And as Mr. Perry signed the bill, he was surrounded by Mr. Bird's parents and lawmakers who would pushed and pushed for this legislation. Hmm. So, so like, on the flip side, you'd say, well, there is some good that came out of this, this horrible, horrendous tragedy, a hate crime law that aims to strictly punish these types of crimes. But the fact of the matter is, that notion has been more of a pipe dream as of late. Now, get this, Cam, from 2010 to 2015, there were 900 and 81 cases reported to police in Texas as potential hate crimes. Now, ProPublica had released a report, I'm going to say 2017, and they examined these records kept by the Texas Judicial Branch and confirmed that out of these 981 cases, just five had hate crime convictions. And in the course of reviewing dozens of other individual case files for potential convictions, they found another three. So, eight out of 981, best case, like, that's, oh my god. If you I would know, like to, like, just review those cases just to see the, the, I guess, the scale of these hate crimes. Right. Like I said, there's a lot of factors that go into it, you know, but... Yeah, because, I, like, I don't think it was just eight... But then I'm sure there's a couple of them where you're like, okay, that's not really a hate crime. But mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of them that were like, no, this is a hate crime. Yeah, I mean, but just like from that number, like, it's just so disproportionately low. And I don't want to say be, you know, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to be disencouraging or uh, or cynical, but like this is why people don't step forward. Exactly. This is a, a prime example of why it's hard for victims to step forward because they don't get the recognition or justice they need, and it's even worse because then we have assholes like. Jesse Smolt, who nobody knows if that was an actual hate crime or if he was lying about it. And from what was gathered, people think he was lying about it. So that's frustrating because that just made America a bigger divide, and we're trying to avoid that. That was like a real-ass, like, empire storyline come to to life. Like, man. Oh, my God. (laughs) He makes me so mad. Oh, Jesse, Jesse, Jesse. But I did, my favorite thing I saw was like, I bet you someone could jump him now and no one would believe him. I was like, oh, that's so, so bad. That's the thing, so and that's funny. the, uh, that's the, the boy who cried wolf. Yes, Central. and it's, it, it sucks that we, they couldn't make a legislation until someone had such a henuous hate crime. It sucks that we are, as a country, we wait for the worst to happen before we put action in. Right. Um, because, I mean, somebody lost his life and his four, four or five families were destroyed because of this alleged, of this hate crime that could have been avoided if we all, again, raised on acceptance and love and peace. And Yeah. It was, so, just, it was just senseless. But... Anyways, back to, sorry, I'm going on a rant right now, but surprisingly enough, the Bird family endured a rift, a source of following the ordeal. Bird's son, Ross, said at the time, you can't fight murder with murder, which is a prime example of you can't fight fire with fire. And so I kind of, I kind of like what he's trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ross's sister, Renee Mullen, said that after Brewer's execution, she per- preferred a life sentence for her father's killer. But LaVon Bird Harris, one of Bird's sisters, told the Washington Post days before King's execution that the execution justice was confirmation of justice being served. And she said they were determined to treat him like an animal. She continued they were a danger to society. And that's when we start changing our opinion about the death penalty. Harris said uh, two of her sisters and one of her nieces planned to attend King's execution. And Harris actually runs the Bird Foundation in her brother's memory in Jasper with the mission of racial healing. And she says she's found some solace in the strengthening of hate crime laws in Texas, other states, and federally since her brother's murder. Since she said she did not want to whitewash the problems that remain. But since Bird's death, his grave has been desecrated twice. She said once when someone kicked over the headstone, and again when someone painted racial slurs nearby. And again, this was in the 2000s. Um, it is now, his grave has now asked to be protected behind a locked gate, which, don't disrespect the dead. That's, it's just, and she just, and she, and she continues that this is a never-ending cycle. Because again, hate is still around and hate is still among us. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to what you were really kind of like saying, especially in part one, like how much, how far have we really come? You know, you think after all this shit and even you would think after this, you would have a community come together and you had that, what they they, uh, talked about in the two towns in Jasper 
part where you have the cemetery and you have the fence separating the blacks from the whites and they tore it down and you would think, okay, this is going to be, this is going to start the healing process. And then only for years later, you have some fucking idiot just desecrate this man's tombstone. And and it's frustrating too, because in the two towns of Jasper, they thought it was going to, that tearing down of the fence was going to start a healing process. But I just feel like they pitched the smallest thing they could do to change it because nobody was actually happy about the fence being taken down. You know, nothing was actually changed. There's still sides. There's still, you know, the, you know, African-American families lay to rest with each other while the Caucasians lay rest with each other still. And I just feel like they should have, I don't know, maybe something bigger than just tearing it. It's a good idea. And I know what they meant, but like nobody actually were, was affected by the fence. You know, everyone just stayed till their side still. Right. It was kind of like a symbolic gesture. Yeah. And nobody, but I I felt like a lot of people didn't consider it that Mm -hmm. they were just like, why? Yeah. yeah. So, so. We, we talked about in part one about, you know, these two documentaries. One, uh, really prevalently, uh, Two Towns in Jasper, which chronicled, and we will, I should remember this shit, but we will post up those links. Uh, one you will find um, on Vimeo. That's pretty much where the, the site where YouTube is going to tear down these videos, so at least I have this on. <laughs> So, um, Two Towns in Jasper, which we talked about a lot in part one, which did chronicle the James Byrd trial as it was going on, and as well as Deadline, and we kind of referenced that early on in part one. Uh, for if anything, James Byrd's son was briefly in the documentary, and he said pretty much uh, what you had said a little earlier, I am against the death penalty. And even though it's only a few seconds long, uh, of his uh, cameo in the documentary, it's going to allude to a bigger picture of what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this show and how it relates to Illinois. So we're going to kind of really take a 180 and say, fuck this road trip. We're back in Illinois. Kill Illinois. Let's we flew home. Like, we, we flew, flew back home to Illinois for a second. So tying this into Illinois, we're just going to give you kind of a brief timeline of what we were kind of raised on the death penalty in our state. So the Illinois State Capitol, as credited by uh, the deathpenalty.org, the Chicago Tribune, and the Oz, Oz, Oyes, Oyes. Wow, uh-huh. I, I haven't read that one. Um, yeah, that's for like Supreme Court uh, rulings. All of that <laughs> saved my ass in Conwell. Damn. <laughs> um, but following the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Greg versus Georgia, uh, Georgia. Georgia, sorry. Oh, come on. You can't even say Georgia. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's oh. almost midnight, and I got no sleep last night. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, which ruled that the punishment of death did not violate the 8th and 14th Amendments under all circumstances as cruel and unusual punishment. Illinois state legislator voted um, to reinstate capital punishment in 1974. Was this around the time of John Wayne Gacy, though? Oh, we're getting to that. Okay, okay, sorry, I'm jumping, I'm jumping <laughs> forward too much. But 
All executions in Illinois since 1974 were carried out through lethal injection. And that said, we, we have covered a case that has ended in a death penalty. <laughs> da, da, da. John, John Wayne Gacy. Gacy. Ah, which, jinx. which I woke up from my nap today after work and I looked like him. So, um, did. Killer Clown. That's how rough my night was. Killer <laughs> Clown. But, um... Anyways, you can find his uh, our archives on our SoundCloud page, Illinois with Burning Can, and then our um, website that we're currently playing around with. So anyways, that law actually took effect on July 1st, 1974, but it was struck down by the Illinois Supreme Court in 95. But on Ju- June 21st, 1977, Governor James uh, Thompson signed a new reinstatement bill that was upheld by the Supre- uh, state Supreme Court in 1979. So on March 17, 1999, Andrew Coco part of the Chicago Ripper crew, and oh, will we be fucking covering that in the future? So be on the lookout for that one. But Andrew Coco and I and I and look at me giving you shit for being tongue tied. Coco, I know I couldn't even say Georgia or George. There you go again. It sounds like saying Giordano's. Coco Relius. There we go. Part of the Chicago Ripper crew was found guilty in the 1982 murder of an Elmhurst woman, became the last person executed in Illinois to date. And six days before that, Anthony Porter, who was sent to death row in 1983 for a double murder committed near a pool on Chicago's south side, had his conviction totally reversed. And Porter had spent nearly 17 years on Illinois' death row for a crime that he eventually didn't, it was determined that he did not commit, all the while maintaining his innocence. And this came after two investigative journalists revealed that the state's sole eyewitness in a total of 17 hours of interrogation had been threatened, harassed, and intimidated into testifying that Porter was the killer. And Porter was released in February 1999 on the motion of state attorneys uh, after uh, Peter, oh, oh boy, after, uh, I'm just going to botch that shit, but after the state's attorney convinced another man to confess on videotape to the double murder that sent Porter to death row. And charges were filed against the other man who claimed he killed in self-defense. And Porter had came within two days of execution in 1998. But he was granted a last-minute reprieve because the court wanted to look into his mental competency after IQ test revealed that Porter had an IQ of 51. So, Wow. And two, that's another one I want to kind of break down into that. There's a lot of, well, not a lot of people, but there are people who are on death row mm-hmm. and have been found guilty and have lethal, you know, injection and that weren't guilty. Right. Um, but I, I really, really feel in, in, in a case like this, any type of murder case, um, to avoid these types of situations, they really, I feel, should present the entire video interview with the, that the police have from when they get the convicted to when they officially tell him he's guilty and show it in court because mm-hmm. then it holds both people accountable. Right. Um, but yeah, anyways, <laughs> so let's jump a little bit forward to November 14th through 18th in 1999. A five day Chicago Tribune series examines flaws in Illinois death penalty system which included faulty evidence, legal incompetence, and dishonest trial tactics. And on January 18, 2000, Steve Manning, a former Chicago police officer, became became the 13th Illinois death row inmate 
to be exonerated since 1977. And only two weeks after that, then-Governor George Ryan had announced an unprecedented moratorium on the death penalty, making Illinois the first state to take such an action. But it, it, it really, we didn't know why, he, at the time, we didn't know why. Was he doing it because, oh, I want to take a such a prevalent stance on this? Or was it other nefarious means? Because this happened while he was under federal investigation for unrelated corruption uh, that cost um, 13, and this all set off when 13 people had died in accidents caused by people who illegally obtained commercial driver's license during bribes. And eventually he later went to federal prison for that corruption scandal. And um, believe it or not, but uh, he, when Bruce Rauner got inaugurated in 2015, uh, they, George Ryan had a furlough and <laughs> I, that furlough was at UIS. Shut the fuck up. And I'll never forget it. I'm going, I'm, uh, I'm having lunch. All right. We're at, uh, boy, I was going to say SLB, you know, I'm full of shit, but we're at, uh, not the grill, but man, Pack. it's been pack. There we go. Pack. Cause they closed down the pack for the studio. Yo, union. So I don't even want to talk about the pack. that. I'm at the pack, and like, getting a burger, and I was just like, this guy looks so fucking familiar. Where have I seen him from? And he's got two sheriffs accompany him. Now, this is, again, this is during the inauguration where they had, this is, uh, you have a whole, all these luminaries, all these politicians and lawmakers and whatnot. Like, it's packed. I was just like, man, I, I, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Where have I seen this guy? And one of the uh, workers at the pack, I was like, man, doesn't he look like uh, George Ryan? He's like, yeah, that is, that is him. I was like, wait a minute. I thought he's in fucking prison. He's like, nope, nope. He's got a little, they got him, they gave him a furlough for this event. So like, yeah, it was just so fucking wild. And he's just sitting there. And Well, some people don't get furloughs to go see their parents' funeral. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. But like, and... <laughs> Police and the sheriff was eating with him. And he just looked so fucking sad. So he should sad be sad and old and shit. But like, yeah, sad and old and in jail. Yeah. Uh, well, he got released since. So. Oh. Well, at the time. At the time. At the time, he's like, "Fuck, I have to go back." <laughs> like. Yeah, but. Shit. That's but, what you get. Yeah. But anyway, so two days prior to leaving office in two thousand and three, uh, Ryan commutes the sentence of 164 death row inmates to life in prison without parole, citing a system that is haunted by the demon of error. Aaron Patterson, Leroy Orange, Madison Hobley, and Stanley Howard, these four belong to Death Row 10, a group of inmates who claim that their convictions were due to false confessions obtained via police torture at the hands of notorious Chicago police commander John Byrne. Another three death row inmates had their sentences shortened to 40-year terms, and the actions take 167 people off death row. Yeah. See, um, when you uh, talking about John Burge, is a piece of shit who thankfully is uh, resting in shit as we speak. Uh, he just, just passed. But um, I had uh, a former, when I was going to school at Harold Washington, um, I had an American history class, and there was this guy who sat 
like adjacent from me and mm-hmm. like he was like always spoke up like one of the most articulate like people in the class and we were having this conversation about uh wrongful imprisonment and he had revealed that he was one of those people who were who who dealt with that you know the police torture at the hands of John Burge and his people and he ended up serving 26 years for a murder he didn't commit Ugh. and like he, he like he was telling like all the shit that went down in that interrogation they had a bag under his head they beat him like Ugh. it was just so and I, it was just so fucking like insane and that's what sucks is no matter what you do, there's always going to be that one person or people that fucking ruin it for the rest of everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, especially especially nowadays with the whole movement of the police brutality and, you know, stand behind the blue line and then all the social media things of, you know, each side. Like, so it's, it's very uh, just frustrating that, you know, they play dirty to try and, like, I, I don't know how the rules work as police officer. I don't know if you have to get someone to be guilty in mm-hmm. your case, or I don't know how it works. Um, but it just... And I mean, hell, that's, like, that whole shit, we can do a whole episode on, like, the tactics yeah. that John Burge and his uh, officers did. Like, I mean, the... That's just a tip of the iceberg of, like, public information that's out there. Yeah. Like, it's just so, just, man, man, I mean, to this day, and I remember this was, like, almost 10 years ago when, you know, when I had that class and he was telling us that story, and, you know, that's still indelible in my mind to this day. So, I mean, to to live that and to Mm -hmm. spend a quarter of a century, a whole portion of your life, in jail for murder you didn't commit and how do you not go crazy exactly that's what my thing and like the worst part is like our prison system isn't the best yeah and that's something Um, yeah i mean it's it it goes to the it goes my bad to cut you off there but it goes to the greater question of again because this is a in theory this is a black and white as you said a few minutes earlier this justice system is black and white in theory mm-hmm. and we are gray but as we've seen you know as we've been talking about in several minutes since it is fall as a motherfucker yeah and, and that said you know should we go in some cases where I think that the death penalty is warranted. But that said, you know, you had people who were sent to death row who got executed, and it turns out they didn't even do it. Exactly, and you can't bring that person back. You can't bring back their life. But I I guess I want to find what the percentage is of, like, the individuals who weren't guilty on death row. Mm -hmm. Um because there are some people that deserve it, such as this hate crime we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, there's some people like Ted Bundy that are serial killers that just their brain is just completely different. Mm-hmm. 
want people to pick their brain. Right. And there's there's a percentage out there. I I know it's above sixty percent that um, if you go to jail, you're more than likely to go back to jail because mm-hmm. in jail it's about survival. It's not about how can we make you a better person and get you back in the world a success. It's how do we survive in here without being killed because the guards don't care. Guards could I could be shanked. 20 times in less than five seconds before the guards get here. You know, the guards' lives are at risk. Mm -hmm. People around them are at risk. And that's where a lot of hate stems in there, too. Right. So, on November 19, 2003, state lawmakers passed a historic death penalty reform package that included a ban on capital punishment for defendants with IQs of less than 75. Two years later, on May 18, 2005, a city committee voted down proposed legislation passed by the House that would have raised the standard of proof for the death penalty to guilt beyond all doubt. And six years after that, the Senate passed legislation, state Senate passed legislation abolishing the death penalty in Illinois five days after the House did the same. And just a couple months later, on March 9th, uh, Governor Pat Quinn actually signed legislation abolishing the death penalty in Illinois and commutes 15 Illinois inmates on death row to sentences of life without parole. But the death penalty issue in Illinois wasn't necessarily put to bed. Last year, then Governor Bruce Rauner announced a proposal that would bring back the death penalty in extreme cases particularly to those who are mass murderers and those who kill law enforcement officers. But under the GOP governor's proposal, death penalty suspects would have to be convicted by juries beyond all doubt, not just beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's required for guilty findings of other criminal offenses. The proposal also outlines that the state appeals courts would have to apply the same standard and conduct an independent review of the evidence with no defense paid to the jury's decision. So what Bronner was saying is he want, we want to raise the standard because we recognize legitimate concerns about the death penalty, but we are intent on avoiding wrongful convictions, the injustice of consistency, inconsistency, which I can, I can agree on. Some people do deserve death versus others. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that said, and with everything but, taken but, into fact, but, Oh, that's but, but that said, like, uh, it would all, I don't know to say, it would all go for not, at least for now, because again, Rauner, we said then governor for a reason, because Rauner got his ass toasted by J.D. Pritzker in that November's elections. And I don't think Pritzker will be doing, at least, you know, in the foreseeable future, he'll be, you know, at least my uh, perspective is going to be proposing that kind of legislation. I mean, maybe another uh, Republican governor comes around and they'll kind of like use the ideas that Rauner had proposed and then they'll just go off of there. So who knows? But at least for now, I I don't think so. But yeah, just want to add those two cents. And it's, it's, and I'm glad we've been talking about it um, throughout the entire like uh, part two, because it's a very, very confusing subject. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like I was stating, there are people that do deserve, um, you know, capital punishment and murder. Case in um, point, uh, the two uh, fuckheads, James uh, James Byrd. Exactly. They deserved it. 
Um, and here's the thing. I know there's uh, Barry is still in jail, but he drove the pickup truck. Right. So if you that that's just what throws me off is you had control of your surroundings in the pickup truck and you still decided to do it. And so that's that's where it gets me confused. Um, but there are some people that, you know, don't deserve death row. There are people that, you know, the cases vary so much. And I do agree that each case needs to be looked into individually and detailed because that will help avoid, mm-hmm. you know, incorrect trials, you know, um, that will avoid people who are innocent from being guilty. And, you know, if you are a mass murderer, you should, or, you know, you shoot up a school or shoot up a police officer or a firefighter or anybody, you do deserve to die because Mm -hmm. these people are here to help you. And so that said, are you in favor of the death penalty in Illinois being reinstated? See, See, that's the thing is like, I've never been in the situation where I've had to feel about it. But mm. if, if if my father was dragged like that, I would personally want to murder those people. Right. Um, I would was. personally want the death penalty for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because I have such strong emotions. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, I do agree. Like if we are to reinstate it. It, it needs there needs to be specific guidelines to it you know not just everyone goes in there who's guilty of murder more like you know beyond reasonable doubt like 100 percent. so if it was to be reinstated which i i do believe in it to an extent mm-hmm. um if it was reinstated it, it really needs to be uh a more detailed kind of um conviction and evidence and it needs to be 100% before someone gets sentenced to life. Yeah, like, if it's, like, one of those deals where... I mean, I'm sorry, sentenced to death. Right, like, it's one of those deals where when you have, and not just basing it off of, say, circumstantial evidence, when you have hard proof, physical evidence that DNA can unquestionably link you to that crime, and in extreme cases where it's just the atmosphere around it and you have no remorse and the intent like if that you know if it deserves that that stake then yes but then that said when especially when you see the cases with john burge uh and others like that you had these okay on the surface these they have evidence air quotes uh, and you would see years later with the recant confessions and DNA would tie this to another perpetrator. In some cases where you would have, uh, who knows, the prosecution or uh, suppressing information. Like, it's just, again, in theory, justice system is supposed to be black and white, but then in execution... Uh, that's a terribly a terrible word to say, but and when you you know actually think it out, I don't know if it's actually it's, going to be you know yeah. that. It's and again, it's back to one of those things. Until it happens to me, I don't know how to feel about it. Right. Because like that's a very very fair point. Yeah, because like don't get me wrong. If it happened to my family, I'm coming for you. 
I am going to kill you myself. And that's the Chicago way, yeah. Yeah. But like I'm just I I adore my family. I love everything about my family. I was I feel I was raised to accept all types of people and like and, and this reminds me of the whole Chris Watts and Shanann Watts incident where he murdered his wife and two children. Oh, and that like they were showing like the Kodak photos and shit. He deserves to be on the death he deserves the death penalty. Um but that's because he willingly not only killed his wife, he killed his babies with no remorse. Yeah. And that's not somebody I want walking around. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what is scary though, because there are a lot of people that walk around with no remorse. Right. But there's a difference from acting on that and not having remorse and just being like sorry you tripped and fell kind of thing and so again it's all a fine line between anyone and everything and the actual outcome of what what happens mm-hmm. yeah but i i do believe though that across all boards i don't care who you are what your background is what your religion is if you go out to murder someone for hatred or premeditated or you or you somewhere have in your mind that you want to hurt someone like that in your life, there's something wrong with you. All right. Yeah. And and this is something like I really want to, when we do post this, I want to, hey, Adam, I see him in the background. Um, this is something right. that I really want to leave into a conversation where hopefully when people um, see the post and they discuss on it, whether they're for the death penalty or whether or not, but I th- because I think this is something that warrants a honest, thought-provoking discussion. I, I really do. And um, again, when we do post that, it is something that we really want to yeah. have opinions on. And like I, I, I'm and I'm such a such a square because like I'm totally in the center. Like I've never been there, so like I can't be like, oh no, you know, this gentleman deserves to die. His family deserves to suffer because I don't mm-hmm. want people to suffer like me. But at the same time, how was this individual raised right. to be like this, to be so hated, mm-hmm. to have so much hatred? And right. I just, you know, I know everyone's brains are different. Mm-hmm. We all have different experiences. And so that, like the whole Gypsy Rose Blanchard situation, oh, like it's just, there's so many different situations that, right. you know, that you shouldn't be in jail for murder. You shouldn't be on death row for murder. You should be on death row. It's 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 a very, very detailed, fine point kind of question. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for people to right. give us their opinion. Yeah. And again, and like, um, and I was just thinking about it. Like, it was very, going back to uh, James Bird, it was very fascinating to see the different sides from his children to James Bird's sister on like how they felt that, you know, what uh, justice constituted. Like we didn't, we really didn't uh, talk about this, but I think, I believe Ross Bird had actually visited Lawrence Brewer in prison after the fact and tried to hear his point of view. And I mean, that's more power to him if that actually happened. Wow. Yeah. And that's, I guess what makes, dumb such good people that they were willing to accept and forgive and Mm -hmm. i I know i was raised to you know forgive forget move on but like 
I don't know if I could. Right. Because somebody felt like they wanted to be God and take the life of somebody, somebody else. I don't, I don't know if I could. I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that is pretty much it on um, James Bird. And as we're talking about uh, the death penalty, and I'm sure we're going to be covering cases down the road, especially when we get back and more centered on Illinois. And even when we do go road tripping, there are going to be cases where uh, the subjects that we cover did eventually get sentenced to death and they get executed and inhale from the research we do and then from our interpretation we'll figure okay this motherfucker deserved death penalty or didn't see so it's going to be very you know interesting to see how that goes moving forward but that said um again guys thank you so much uh next week we're going to be like we're going to try keyword try uh to be really really um active in posting a whole bunch of episodes we have a so we've been talking about so many cases that um, that are up on Ledger. Uh, last episode, we uh, did talk about the Browns murder, Browns chicken uh, massacre uh, that happened on January 8, 1993. And we're going to be bringing that to you, if not next Monday, as in a couple of days, whenever you hear this. You might be hearing this on a binge. I know Frank is going to be, oh, shit, I'm listening to rappers. But, like... Yeah, it's going to be Monday or Tuesday, and then Friday, we're going to be coming to you that ass with another episode. So we are really going to try to be uh, revving up our output in time for our one-year anniversary, which is coming up on June 12th, 2019. Yay, so excited. And I mean, to think that, you know, we're about, what, at least over 30 episodes in. I mean, who, we, I, I honestly thought we'd probably do two, and then you know, we're still going at it, and we, hell, we want to do more, so, I mean, we, I'm very fucking excited, at least, I'm glad, Brown's yeah, just, uh, chicken one, like, it's very, like, I can't wait to do that one. I'm really excited, and I'm really, really thankful for everyone who's followed, listened to us, and has supported us. Yeah? Um, because I honestly didn't think we'd make it as far as we did, and I'm yeah. having a blast doing it, so. Yeah. So, I hope uh, everyone else is, too. <laughs> That's it. Um, you can find Cam on Instacam 630 on Instagram. You can find her on I Like Stuff 630 on Twitter. You can find her on Cam E. Ren on Facebook. Or you can just go on my Facebook, uh, Alex Camp. And it seems like every post I do, she is always going to comment on I'm it. I'm his so only friend. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, <laughs> but you can find Birdman at bird underscore your underscore enthusiasm on insta hopefully you can spell your correctly you can um <laughs> find him on twitter it's still birdman for america for like mm-hmm. the number been the same since 2014 find, okay that's what i was gonna say it's still the same which i still agree 2020 is coming up birdman yeah you'll be um, my you'll be my running mate <laughs> and then as you heard earlier he's um alex camp so good luck finding alex camp on facebook oh you bastard well <laughs> made it sound so things <laughs> are so depressing, but okay. But um, again, that said, we will be back next week. And yes. for Cam signing out, this is Bird. This is Illinois. Be, be there, there or, or be, be killed, killed. bitches. Woo.